Welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show. I'm Andrew Slavin, and after an inadequate international break, the Premiership is back, and it's one of the most exciting leagues in Europe. There's five points separating the top six, three points separating the bottom four, and then there's Aberdeen and St Johnston kind of in the middle. Dundee have got a new manager, but they've got the same old problems. Kelly are celebrating a year under the same manager, though, and what a year it's been. There's so much to talk about, but we've got you covered, whether you're a fan of Hearts or Kelty Hearts. That's right, Barry Ferguson is now a manager in the Lowland League. Plus, Judas returns to Capilo. Alongside me, from the Telegraph, he's got two J's in his name, and I hope neither of them stands for Judas. It's JJ Bull. Hi. <laughs> and um, formerly of the Mail, now working at Kicker, Anthony Joseph is back with us. Hello. Morrison and Jimmy it's his first goal in a year and a half, and it's a stunning header from Arnold Jim. Low by Lee, Naismith tangled up with Ferguson, and the referee says penalty. It's the last one against Livingston. Emphatic this time from Stephen Naismith, and Hearts are two ahead. Two weeks ago, Leaders Hearts suffered the first defeat of the season at Ibrooks, but Craig Levine's side bounced back and are still top of the Premiership after a 2-1 win over Aberdeen. Gordon Senior from the Hearts Review podcast joins us now. Gordon, how important was that result of the weekend and overcoming the Rangers' defeat? Yeah, massive, massive. Um, you know, it was a real test of character hmm. uh, to, to go into a big game, uh, especially with the amount of injuries that we have at this moment in time. This month in general is quite testing for Hearts and uh, the, the home games against Aberdeen and Hibs are, are vitally important. Um, if we're going to maintain any sort of challenge at all. So it was a huge win for us. Do you felt they missed having John Suter and Uche Piazu in the side this week? Um, I don't think they missed John Suter. I, I thought uh, Dick Amoa and, and Jimmy Dunn were excellent on Saturday. Um, I think they were they were quite... Uh, to be fair, Aberdeen didn't put too much of a fight in the first half, but but the second half they came into it and, and they stood tall and, and managed to, to deal with anything that Aberdeen threw at them, um, which wasn't very much in fairness, but... Uh, I think Uche Egbiazu is probably more of the bigger loss, but I think there's the opportunity there for, for guys like Sean Clare to come in. Stevie McLean as well can can put a, a real bid in to be a, a regular starter. And obviously we've got Naismith, our top goal scorer there. So there's still options, and, and I'm not too concerned. In terms of Egbiazu's goal tally, I think he's only scored two or something like that, but his physicality and his all-round game definitely will be a miss. The, the Hearts team, how good is this team when you compare it to Hearts teams of the past? Um, I, I think that's difficult uh, to, to answer at the moment because they, they haven't really had the, the full starting 11 fit for this this entire season so far. I think in terms of a squad, it's probably the, the, the best depth they've had. You know, and I'm, I even go back to 05-06 when they had about 60 players on their books. Um, at least at least I think that the players that they do have, you can rely on them. I mean, they brought uh, Bosnich in, who at first I wasn't entirely sure of, but he had an excellent game on, on Saturday, replaced Haring, who's been really key for us this year. Um, you know, Stevie McLean coming in, great experience. Uh, he, really, he really compliments Naismith up front. I think a lot was made about Suter and Ekbiezu being out for five months. You know, would that derail us? But honestly, I'm I'm still pretty comfortable with it. Uh, I think we've got enough there to to keep going along until January, and then when we get these guys back, and hopefully we can keep them fit, 
then I think we've got a really, really good chance in the second half of the season because we've still got Vanajek to come in. Uh, I've heard good reports about him. So right away, you know, you, you're getting more firepower up front. And who, who says that they might not even sign a few more players in January? The scouting's been really impressive over the summer. Hmm. Uh, like, uh, what's the? Do you know what the scouting setup is at Hearts just now? Well, I, I've I've been heavily critical of the scouting system at Hearts for for a good few years now. Uh, I, I've said it on our podcast repeatedly that that it needs to change, and I think it has changed. Uh, I heard um, Craig Levine and Austin McPhee talking about how they've hired more scouts now, and uh, they're down south and they're they're abroad, and they've they've definitely invested money in it, and I think they had to because. Some of the players that they've had over the last few, and let's not forget that, that it's not the case that Hearts have just not been spending money. They, they have. They've, they've bought a lot of players and they've been active in every transfer window since they came back into the league. But since the championship season, where I thought they got the recruitment spot on under, under uh, Robbie Nielsen, I thought since then it was just poor. And it was almost like they were signing players for the sake of signing players. Uh, in particular, when, when they first came back up, they finished third. Uh, when I actually think they should have finished second, I thought they should have they shot themselves in the foot that year uh, by dropping silly points uh, to you know your Kilmarnocks and St Johnstons and, and Dundee that year, and then they should have won the Scottish Cup. They didn't. Uh, Hibs went on to win that, and then you think to yourself, well, do you know what? We weren't a million miles away. Maybe just two or three quality players, but they didn't. You know, they ended up signing four strikers, and all four strikers flopped, and and they were away by the following season. So I think things like that uh, have definitely improved. Hearts are very good. Some of their attacking play is awesome to watch. Uh, One-touch counter-attacking, uh, great movement off the ball, uh, good positioning. Levine has them playing nice football. The players are talented, they look confident, and they're just moving well. Aberdeen are not. And this is this Aberdeen team is miles away from the ones of the last few seasons. Absolutely miles away. There is nothing to it. Sam Cosgrove, I don't think he'd get a game for any other SPFL team. I don't know what Derek McKenna sees in him. There's much better players that exist. He's got Bruce Anderson. There's heaps of players that can do a better job. The shape doesn't make any sense. I've been saying this a few weeks now. This 4-2-4 depends on long balls, direct passing. Then Cosgrove isn't good enough to hold it up. James Wilson must be thinking what he's got himself in for. It's just lost, like floating about, can't get on the end of anything. GMS, Gary McKay-Steven is uh, still absolutely bossing games. He's been terrific this season. The game plan seemed to be sit deep, try and disrupt play, foul everyone all of the time. What is the, the final fouls count? Was something mental? 44. 44 fouls in that game, and those were the ones that were given. Well, it was 24 <laughs> fouls and to Aberdeen, 21 to Hearts, according to the stats I've got here. But like watching the game, uh, honestly, Hearts could have won this about 10-0 on penalties. Because every single time there was a set piece, players were holding on to others, they were hugging them, they were pulling shirts. Um, and the weird thing is that the referee was giving penalties for stuff that wasn't. Yeah. So, like, he's trying to even it up. And then, sure enough, like, hearts deserved penalties, right? So, uh, no complaints about getting them. Not not even the first penalty? For well, I mean, that's Smith. not a penalty because <laughs> Nathan falls down. <laughs> but these didn't, they were denied about three or four before that. Mm. So, I think that they should... I mean, it's not fair that referees would, you know... Oh, I'll add that one up, and so that's worth that. Two wrongs don't make a right, Andrew. But uh, that is... Um, Sorry. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> that's not how it works. Uh, but the thing is, they both had the same amount of shots. It's weird, yeah. the stats that adds up at the Big end. shots on goal, both so, on target. Yeah. So what's the, what's the difference? Because I still look at Aberdeen and think there are players there 
that can make a difference. There's no midfield. Oh, well, yeah, but there, there should be enough supply to. There's to not. It's not because the thing is, the centre backs are decent, right? Shea Logan might as well not have turned up. He had a terrible game. He was getting shouted at by Joe Lewis throughout. He lost his man a few times at set pieces. Oddly, he wasn't even playing as like a right back. He was like an inverted full back, so he was often inside the pitch as another midfielder. So in this four-two-four shapes, it's a four-four-two really, right? It depends on quick transitions and making sure that you sit deep and then you hit them on the break. So you fire four with wingers, a lot like the kind of stuff Fergie's teams used to do, right? Now you've got McGinn comes on at half time, makes a big difference, um, and uh, Scott Wright came on as well and, and uh, took off Cosgrove because. You can't press with two strikers. You can't press, and they're sort of half think about doing it. But when Hearts go forward, much better with the ball at their feet. Aberdeen have no one, no way of getting it out. When Ryan Jack was there, they had a short pass on. He was always in position as a six to get it and turn and go. When you had Ryan Christie there, he'd someone between the lines of midfield and attack who could link the play. Now there's no one. Lewis Ferguson's a very good player, but he's totally lost. Graham Shinney and Don Ball are ball winners. They cannot keep it. Don Ball is making tackles that are clearly yellow cards and moaning about it being a foul. It's just all. All over the place, and uh, they're really in a bit of trouble. He fancies his chances against Milligan. You can see why. James Forrest. Here's Edward. Three-one. Edward. Nice little flick there for McGregor. Here's Odson. Edward. And that's four. The top scorers in the division made the trip to Celtic Park. We knew there would be goals, but it wasn't a happy return to Glasgow for Neil Lennon. Celtic four, Hibs two. The champions helped by two goals in the opening 20 minutes, including a stunning, sumptuous strike from Tom Rodgick. Anthony, tell me about it. I want to hear about it again. What, what a game me. it was. It was six great goals, but uh, Celtic were back to the level that they were playing at two seasons ago. And Rodgers' first season, there was free-flowing football, fluidity. Celtic have looked so lethargic and passive this season, there was, I would say, only the, the Rangers game at home was the time they, they really stepped up. But other than that, they've just looked disinterested. They're just passing it about side to side. But there was a real tempo to their to their play, and it was it was it was good for good for Celtic side. I think Brendan Rodgers came out and said in his interview and said, like you said, the tempo. He tries to keep as as minimal amount of passes as possible, which allows them to go forward much quicker, and can confuse. The opposition. They had so many chances that Sinclair should have had a couple, Cham should have had a hat trick, and Edward it could have had five. They hit the post so many times as well. It was um, that they were they were like that against St Johnston the first half as well. So it's it, they might have turned the corner. I saw the game. It was absolutely mental. It was awesome to watch. Mm. Uh, I thought um, I know Celtic were playing nice attacking football and they were they were moving the ball quickly between the lines like much better than they have been kind of vertical diagonal passes rather than just tippy tappy to the side. Scott Brown will be a bit of a loss if he's out for a while as well, but that's never never point. The weird thing was that Hibbs is like, Neil Lennon came out after the game and said he took responsibility for the the shape being wrong in the first half, played with a back three. Um, but there was loads of space in the midfield. The midfielders kept getting drawn towards the ball, and so they were leaving they massive were gaps. Yes, yeah, Celtic had a numerical advantage in every single part of the pitch, and the Lennon's formation was designed to not let that happen. So I don't know how that's really gone wrong. But um, the, I love the way that Hibs keep going. The attack, the entertainers, as you call them, Andrew. Yeah, yeah honestly. They're so fun. Stevie Malin is like Adriano in Pro Evo 6. Like, he hits <laughs> like, the, like 99 power, 99 shot. Like, he hits them from so, he hits them so well from so long. Um, that it's like having a you know a chance within the box. Is it a case of because uh, Hibernian are just as attacking as Celtic, it, it creates gaps for both teams? Um, I think it was bad positioning. Yeah. It was the, it was a shape. I think it was kind of wrong. Also, Celtic's players are better. 
And so better players tend to win. And when they play to their level, they're always going to beat a team like Hibs, as good as Hibs are. I thought Rogic, for example, like the first goal it was awesome. Like a great goal. Mm. But the second, it was his link-up plays, a 10, to set up in Cham. So they just play through the middle of them and it's all Rogic just moving in and out. Like What, what, what I found, that goal for Rogic, which I love, because it's how easy he makes that look. Yeah. It's, it's honestly, I don't know how... He can just make the ball glide into the net like that. Maybe there's not a better ten in the in the league than, than the way he moves. And I'd like, so the goal was good, whenever, But I really, honestly, love the way he just moves in and out of players. Always moves into space, pass, move. You can't really track him because he just goes, yeah. and you have to know your defensive shape really well to try and stop him. And uh, Kambari's goal, yeah, like Michael Owen against Argentina. What a hit! What a hit! Stepovers. I love that. No B suits this time around for our old pal <laughs> Franchetti. No. But maybe in Leipzig. Well, maybe. Well, it's it's good he started to score again because that's him scoring in his last three games, and it doesn't look like Griffiths is going to be fit for Leipzig. With Scott Brown being a doubt, how do you fancy Celtic's chances, Anthony? I don't. I, it's Celtic away from home in Europe. It's like watching the same thing on repeat all the time. Why are Celtic fans so down about it? I always, every Celtic fan I meet always doesn't seem to realise how good Celtic are. They always seem to lose or draw or something. I think Celtic are good. I, I, I would fancy Celtic at Celtic Park, but there's just something about... every. There's a reason why, over the years, starting from Martin O'Neill years, Celtic just don't win away from home in Europe. And they don't seem to play well either. But qualifiers is different, but... Uh, I, I don't know what it is. They they just freeze and they lose they lose focus of what their natural game is or what they're what they're good at doing. Yeah. And then they try and play a possession game, but then they they don't really offer much either going forward. I think I said before the group stage, if they can get past these three games halfway through the group stage and have four points, that'll be okay, because they've got two home games coming up against Leipzig and Salzburg and then Rosenberg away and if they can get six points out of their home games then ten points should be, should be enough but now because they lost in Salzburg I think they need to get something in Leipzig to, mm-hmm. to keep their hopes mm-hmm. alive in the group um, We should move on and speak actually about Hearts and Celtic in the Betfred Cup up at Murrayfield That's, yeah. that's home game for Hearts <laughs> yeah. Tinfoil hat on there I know, again I, I think it's uh, I think Hearts and Celtic are at a similar level just now it should be a good watch. It should be a really good game to watch because both both sides are winning games. Yeah. Um, both sides are all firing all cylinders, so it should be a pretty interesting one, especially at Murrayfield. I think Hearts will um, be slightly more pragmatic. What I mean by that is um, they'll be a bit more defensive than they have been in recent games. They'll make a bit of a block just to stop Celtic, to slow them down a wee bit because their counter-attacking play is so good just now. When they go forward, it's quick and the players move into right positions and you got like Mitchell overlaps really well and Nathan moves into space and it's just it's exactly the kind of thing that Celtic's defence will not enjoy playing against just now. The, that clever movement, dragging players away... I can see Hearts getting a few chances to score out of this. But they don't have Kyle Lafferty this time. No, they don't. <laughs> but they've got players there that can that can score goals. And uh, as I saw against Aberdeen, they, they did all right. Naismith's going to be a huge player. He's he's very clever. Gets the team going. Often if they're, if players aren't pulling their weight, you see Naismith shouting. And he sets the level. Them, yeah, he, set, yeah. he sets the level. He's, he's played at a higher level and he's... He, he's an international player as well. He knows what to expect to, to win these kind of games, and he'll be he'll be big for them. But uh, yeah, and with thirty thousand fans backing them, I think there's going to be goals in this, and I think it'll be a, a great occasion. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Let's go, S4. It's a right to Allenville. The Tony Macaroni Arena. Alan 
Lithgow and all three of Livingston's centre-backs have scored, all from set plays. Dundee supporters want to look anywhere but the pitch. After the sacking of Neil McCann last Tuesday, Jim McIntyre took charge of his first game as a Dundee manager away at Livingston. But it was a game that proved two things. One, Livingston are good. Two, McIntyre has a hell of a job on his hands. We're joined now by Alan Patullo from The Scotsman. Alan, you've written plenty on the dismissal of McCann and the appointment of McIntyre. Just sum up for us what has actually happened. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the, the actual um, sack, sacking of, of McCann wasn't um, a complete surprise, but I think, I think it was more the timing. Uh, I think it was nine days after the last defeat against Kilmarnock and just uh, four days before the, the next big game against Livingston. Um, there'd been a, a, a strange kind of exchange going on at Dens Park where McCann was asked to get himself a mentor, um, a sort of director of football type figure, to come in and which he I think he sought to do tried to get Jim Jeffries Jim Jeffries is a is a wise old owl and I think uh, was preferring to stay where he is at Edinburgh City who are top of the league rather than go to a thankless task at Dundee who are obviously bottom in the Premiership so he couldn't get uh, Jim Jeffries on board I think a couple of other feelers two people like Mark McGee um, that wasn't accepted by Dundee and by Tuesday evening last Tuesday evening um, McCann was, was given his jotters and uh and um, Dundee were on the search for another manager, and uh, which, which took suspiciously um, uh, little time to, to organise, because 24 hours later, Jim McIntyre was being uh, unveiled at Dens Park. But uh, I think it's pretty sure that, 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 that McIntyre was, had already been sounded out. Um, although what, what clearly hadn't been sounded out is the, the thorny matter of his uh, assistant, or potential assistant, Billy Dodds, who's, uh, who... Um, Dundee fans are rose up in opposition against coming on board because of well, for complicated reasons stretching back to 2010, stroke 11. That was when the club went into administration, wasn't yeah. it? And yeah, I, that's I, right. And I, Billy Dodds was assistant manager at the time, lost his job obviously when the club went into administration, and then voted against a, a CVA, which is a, the, the creditors' agreement required to get the club out of uh, administration. Dodds, who was owed a significant amount of money voted against this and of course Dundee fans have never forgiven him for that because you know they, they interpret that as Dodds basically trying to get the club liquidated so uh, you know it's uh, it's interesting and so uh, I mean I remember Billy Dodds was a, a great player for Dundee um, uh, between 89 and 94 and he was but uh, this incident was more recent than that and uh, I think he's uh, lost a, well lost a lot of goodwill amongst Dundee fans so whether he does come on board now, I don't know. But perhaps perhaps the, the manner of the defeat on Saturday might help Jim McIntyre's case. What do you think McIntyre will bring to Dundee? So I mean, We've talked about McCann, the way he's got Dundee playing on the pod a few times. Mainly that they're, mm. they're, they play nice football in between the two boxes, but in mm. any whichever box they're in, it all falls apart. I don't know what you think McIntyre can bring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was the problem, I think. I mean, McCann's team you know, on, their, on their day could play very, very nice football and... Uh, they brought in some nice ball players, but um, whether they have the, you know, the, um, the the strength, the kind of, um, um, the sort of know-how, really, of this, the Scottish game, there's quite a few players brought up from the English sort of uh, lower leagues, and I think they've been taken aback, perhaps, by the intensity of the Scottish game. Um, I think that's where they failed, uh, where Dundee have failed this season so far. I guess, 
in the Dundee fans point of view if McIntyre can get the team uh, well scoring and uh, defending better than they did against Livingston um, where they managed to concede four headers um, from set pieces um, I think that would be uh, interpreted as a as a step forward Well listen you, you can give a lot of Dundee fans reasons to smile yourself and uh, yeah. Patrick Barclay are hosting an event uh, at the end of November Yeah well yeah there we are Claudio uh, um, uh, Canigia the the son of the wind, as he's known in, in Argentina, he's coming. He's flying over from uh, Buenos Aires, I think, to uh, to the Whitehall Theatre in, in Dundee um, to uh, reminisce about his time at Dundee in the, the 2000 and 2001 season when he when he shocked world football by uh, <laughs> turning up at Dens Park <laughs> and playing. I think uh, you know 24, 25 games. I think for Dundee, and um, I think Dundee fans look back fondly at each and every one of those games because uh, it was something else to have somebody that really genuinely is a world star playing for Dundee and um, yeah I'm really looking forward to seeing him uh, seeing him again I, I, I bumped into him on the Copacabana four years ago in, in Rio de Janeiro that was my, the highest point of my <laughs> sports fighting career interviewed him on the Copacabana so during the World Cup so uh, looking forward to seeing him again Fantastic. I mean, just just for for anyone who's listening to to us now, um, can you just explain that era for Dundee when when Clouded Kanija came along, as well as a few other quite, Ellie. yeah, Robin Ellie was the names. one that turned my head. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was going on in that time, and how did how did Claudio end up on uh, the shores of Dundee? Yeah, it was strange. It was a strange period. Um, the, the owners at the time, well, you know. <laughs> It won't surprise you to learn that Dundee went to administration for the first time about, uh, <laughs> oh, a, a, about, about two years later yeah. uh, after this experiment had probably, you know, it's probably fair to say it failed. But the idea was to sign these players, sign these foreign players, and then um, uh, obviously, you know, sell them on again for, a, you know, an inflated price and uh, the bottom falling out the transfer market. So it was very difficult to do that. But uh, but it was an exciting time. And I don't, you know, although Dundee paid a very, very heavy cost, there's not many Dundee fans that will perhaps regret that period because it was uh, it was it was you know some great football. Good stuff for Dundee to look forward to in November, non-footballing side of things. <laughs> um, but we should speak about Livingston. We're not worried about Livingston anymore, are we? No, but I mean in context, right? So they had four shots on target. <laughs> they scored oh, wow. four goals. It was four set pieces. All they three were... centre backs scored as well. Yeah, all three of the centre backs. Mm. I mean, that's just we always knew that Livingston were probably going to have to rely on set pieces this season, mm. um, and obviously their home form is going to be important as well. But they're getting the job done, and I think uh, I read the stat today that. Um, 18 points that's so far this season that's the amount they got last time they were in the Premiership yeah. the main thing for them was to stay safe this season and they're all they're already safe because Dundee are not going to gain 15 points on them mm-hmm. at all so they, they can just enjoy their football and see where this momentum takes them really they, they, they not, were, they there's were no league, pressure on them anymore they were League 1 two years ago yeah yeah. I have a, f- a funny feeling that they may well be in that top 6 for the rest of the season because there are certain other teams that just are not performing that we're not going to get into that bit it could all change do, 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 yeah. is, is it is it not a case though that Livingston are maybe not going to keep this up for the whole season they might you know you take can't a, keep take, up that no yeah you, they might take a, a, a dive a little bit in the sense of might lose four in a row and it's how you come back from that 
And yeah. it's, it's that side of things that Livingston haven't shown yet because they've only lost one game. And the danger yeah. is, though, right? So I know they're, they're free of pressure a wee bit now, but um, the same token, if they then just assume that, well, we're kind of safe now, and you let level drop, that's when uh, you'll be in trouble. Mm-hmm. And you can't, account, you can't count for scoring four set pieces every game. What's more important than football? That's right, breakfast. And that's why we've teamed up with Campbell's to bring you the best start to your day. Because breakfast is good, but breakfast is better with Campbell's. Campbell's is a family-run butchers who've been in business in Scotland for over a century. And they now deliver their delicious handmade sausages, outdoor reared pork, as well as a huge selection of steaks, roast poultry and even fish right to your door. As a fan of our Totally Football shows, you can get yourself a fantastic Campbell's breakfast box for only £10. Just head to campbellsmeat.com now and enter the promo code TOTALLY and you'll get three types of sausage as well as a Cumberland ring, 12 rashes of unsmoked back bacon and haggis and black pudding made to Campbell's traditional family recipe. So get your meat on by heading to campbellsmeat.com now and entering the promo code TOTALLY at the checkout. That's campbellsmeat, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L-S-M-E-A-T.com and the promo code TOTALLY, that's T-O-T-A-L-L-Y. Because breakfast is better with Campbell's. So Rangers were given a scare at New Douglas Park but were eventually victorious by four goals to one. Steven Gerrard winning an away game in the Premiership for the very first time. Two penalties and two minutes for James Tavernier late on. He's now scored 11 spot kicks out of 11 in a Rangers shirt. Both penalties conceded by the same player, Alex Penny, the first for a handball. But was it a penalty? No. I think maybe it's... Well, no. well, on you go, on you go, you two, Alex, discuss. Alex Penny, lean, the ball's crossed in, Alex Penny leans in, he's really silly because he should just hook it away with his left foot or even touch it on his knee and then hook it away, but he doesn't, he leans in, the ball hits his shoulder and it doesn't actually hit his hand after, I can see how the referee thinks it does, when you look back on it in the replays, it actually hits his knee, well, it's not his hand, see, so that's that's not a penalty. I was convinced it was a penalty straight away on seeing it, and then I watched more and more and more and more replays, I don't know why I watched so many, and it, at first I was like, oh well, that's a penalty, that is stupid, why has he stooped down that way, I don't think he can clear with his left foot maybe, it's, maybe he, he could, could have hooked away, but, yeah. um, but he goes down to try and control it, whatever, and it looks like it comes off his hand. But then I've been seeing it even more times. It looks like maybe it doesn't. I can't see because the angles, all the angles don't let you see. Yeah, there's, there's not as many camera angles as you, you so might have So you've got to go with the attacking team if you're not sure. Well, you don't have to go with that. But well, I, yeah. as, as the referee, as much as you could maybe argue that it hasn't hit his hand, you can forgive the referee for oh, making yeah. that decision. Oh, definitely, you? you can forgive the referee. And from his angle, the first time when I saw it in real time, I thought it was a handball. When I saw the first few replays, I thought it was a handball. But then when you put it in slow motion and properly see the contact from the shoulder downwards, I it, don't know if it you comes, can see comes, contact on the, the it, bottom bit. I mean, comes, yeah, it, it's his knee, not his yeah. not his left hand. We'll do some more. I mean, it's, we're going to descend into the thing I always talk. We shouldn't do. We're talking into referee decisions all the time. But um, Miller should have had a. A penalty, I think. Oh, yeah, end. He's hauled mm-hmm. to the ground by Tavernier. Yes. A definite penalty wasn't given. If he'd gone down Although, to the floor, he would have got it. There's, there's an argument, though, to say that he was holding on to Tavernier as well. He's trying I to think get he away. Was trying to get, he was trying to yeah, shove but, him off. But, really. shove him off. No, I actually think he's got a, a fist full of his shirt. Nah, it's... That, I mean... I think that's so a penalty. It's two, it's two people battling for the ball. And if it's I'm holding you the ball, that, you're going to get annoyed at me. So yeah. you'd be like, oh, think, that's a penalty. You can't I get the ball. I think the reason he didn't get it, though, was because he went down once he'd left Tavernier and gone towards the ball. Had he gone down on the byline when they were both grabbing each other, yeah. he would have probably got that penalty. 
What about um, the Morelos one? I thought that was soft in first viewing. I thought he was looking for it. But I, I don't think he is. meant it, but I think he, he trips him up and it's, it's Yeah, I think, I think he's too close. He's yeah. too close to Morelos inside the box and the ball's running away from him and it's just a case of when you, when you, you do actually look at the replays and it's Penny's knee who just obstructs the movement of Morelos's leg and he falls over. It does look soft, um, but it probably is a penalty. Right, referee chat done. Let's talk about the game. That's yeah. all stuff. So, Rangers took the lead through Ryan Kent. That's a young Liverpool loanee. Decent finish. Manages to get in behind Hamilton, um, who I agree with Martin Canning. I think their shape was good and they mostly kept them at bay. The weird thing I thought about Rangers being 1-0 up and then at half-time they came out and they spent all the time, like the first like, few 10, 15 minutes, just in their own half, passing backwards like it's Serie A or something. I don't know what they were doing. They, they, they know they're, they've got better players by far, but they seemed nervous to go forward or they just didn't have quite that drive. Was it a case that Gerard came out and said in his uh, post-match conference that Rangers were almost scared to get over that hump that's been on them of not winning an away game? Maybe, but they were scared of the halfway line. Like, they just kept going backwards. I don't understand why they were doing that. They must. They had passes on. I mean, Hamilton's setup was to defend deep and try and hit him on the counter. That was their whole thing. Uh, so, you know, I can see why they don't want to make any risky passes and then get counterattacked. But it took until Stephen Boyd hits an absolute worldie. Mm. What a hit! See that? That's better than Salah's goal that won the Ballon d'Or thing. <laughs> it is. They once he scores that goal, that's at level. Rangers wake up suddenly. Just like um, Celtic have been, and in, in England, like Man United have been, once you know they have to do something, suddenly they get fired up and they play. And they win those two penalties. And then um, I decided Morelos is actually really good. That finish for the fourth goal is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. from where he hits it. Yeah, it's, what, yeah. yeah, I think he's, he's definitely a very good player. Get, um, decided yeah. have called it. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the, the goalkeeper, um, Woods, I think it was for Hamilton, didn't cover himself in glory. Because, no. for instance, that goal for Morelos... Why is he in that position in the first place? <laughs> he hesitates. He steps forward first uh-huh. and then thinks about going back, and then he's like, "No, I've got to go for it." And then he challenges. It was, and it's, and um, it's the same for the first. And this, it was yeah. the same for the first goal as well. Uh, yeah. So I that's was, unfortunate. But I was slagging him off a couple of weeks ago in this podcast, Chris Woods, poor boy. Um, I'm sure you won't care what I've got to say, but uh, he is mince. <laughs> no, but he makes lots of mistakes. He's a, he's a, he doesn't come out when he's supposed to. He, uh, I wrote down in my notes that uh, it looks a little bit like Martin Cannon's on the sidelines, constantly holding down triangle. <laughs> <laughs> so he's always never in the right place. He's never positioned properly. Um, it, I don't think he even saves things. I've seen him not save penalties that are hands are right behind the ball. I don't. Again, I don't know how to coach goalkeepers, or I can't play in goal, but. Um, that is definitely one of their weak links. And as in the band, your band's only as good as the drummer, I think a team is only as good as their goalkeeper. The player that stood out for me for Hamilton was uh, Darian McKinnon, who is like, he was like the most angry person you've ever seen. <laughs> like if he was a dog, he'd have a chain around his neck and he would be chasing children down the street. Do you know what I mean? Like, he just looks Does so that angry. happen a lot? I don't know. Uh, we should move on and talk about Rangers and Europa League action on Thursday. They host Spartak Moscow at Ibrox and they've just sacked... Their manager, Massimo Carrera. And didn't um, Rapid Vienna sack their manager just before they faced Rangers at Ibrox? They did. All these managers scared to go to Ibrox. Yeah, they're scared <laughs> of Ibrox. Well, they're very good at Ibrox, Rangers. Yeah, they are. And they're also quite good in Europe, Rangers. The most impressive thing I think Gerard has done is made them seem legit within Europe. You don't think they're going to get battered ever. Spartak obviously haven't had a great start to their season. I think they're seventh in their league. Mm-hmm. You know they are there for the taking, aren't they? They are there for the taking, and the way Rangers are playing, there's 
they're they're so organized, like we we're saying that they don't look like they're they're going to get hammered um, in the way that I guess you sometimes see Celtic look like they're going to get mm-hmm. hammered in Europe. Mm-hmm. Rangers seem more compact and organized, and yeah, with the fans behind them, they they can get another amazing result like they did against uh, against Vienna. And this is going into the double header yeah, stage of, of seven, if they can take seven points from the first three games in Europe, that's yeah. that's phenomenal. And nobody yes. would have expected that. They've got more cup action to look forward to as well. Um, up against Aberdeen at Hamden. They are. We know it's Hamden now. <laughs> it's definitely Hamden. We know that Aberdeen um, might not have as many tickets as they thought they were going to have because of a slow uptake in sales, which is interesting. The club are really, really pushing people to buy them, sending text messages through and What's the emails. situation at the moment, JJ? The last I checked, I think there were about 10,000 or something sold. Yeah, it's really, it's really poor, isn't it? It's... Especially when they fought so hard to get that 50-50 split. Yeah, I... Well, as near to a 50-50 split. In... And, and I think it was fair at the 50-50 split. And um, it has to be that because it's neutral, but then you're going to miss out on loads of ticket sales. And I suspect Aberdeen fans would probably buy tickets closer to the game. Because yeah. it's just a, a weird place, that city. Just folks just don't... You know, they're oh, it's fine, I'll do it later. It's that kind yeah. of mentality. Uh-huh. The other thing as well is that Aberdeen have started this season so terribly that I really don't know if there's a lot of... Um, I don't think anyone expects really to win, to take anything away from that at, at all. It's more of a home game for Rangers than uh, it is for Aberdeen. Yeah. You know, it's neutral, but it's in Hamden, it's down the road. Mm-hmm. And there'll be loads more Rangers fans. Aberdeen bottle it every time they go to Glasgow. The players don't turn up. The shape just now is really terrible. It's all long ball direct. Rangers will mop it up. And they should have beat Aberdeen with 3-0 at Pataudry at the start of the season. I can see. I don't want to predict it, but I can see exactly why Aberdeen fans would be less than desperate to spend their money and have to go to there on a Sunday and get back at night. Well, I'll tell you what works in their favour is Rangers have got no strikers. Morelos is suspended and Lafferty is cup-tied. They're going to have to fall back on, is it Umar Sadiq? Sadiq, yeah. 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 Who's, he who's played not very he's good. Only, he's only come on <laughs> as a substitute a few times. And, yeah, that's... Surely going to work in Aberdeen's favour. Uh, maybe, but Aberdeen are fine at defending. They just can't do anything going forward. It's just, it's all reliant on GMS and Graham Shinney doing stuff with the ball. I'm sure it'll be a great support from Aberdeen fans at Hamden. I think Rangers will turn up just in their droves. There'll be a massive, loud, loud atmosphere. I think Rangers fans feel really good about the team just now and they are favourites by a mile to, to win that game, I would have thought. Time to go around the grounds. It's our man Neil White with a roundup from the rest of the action in the SPFL. The top two teams in the championship met in Dingwall on Saturday, and by the end of the afternoon, Ross County had taken the top spot from air after a 2 1 win. Billy Mackay and Josh Mullen had County 2 up at the break. Lawrence Shanklin's 19th of the season had the hosts holding on at the end, but hold on, they did. Big win. At the other end, Alloa recorded their first league win of the season. The part-timers moved four clear of bottom-placed Falkirk and within touching distance of Partick Thistle, who they beat 1-0 at Recreation Park thanks to Dario Zanatta's goal. New Partick Thistle manager Gary Caldwell got an immediate appreciation of the task facing him. Below the top two, the remaining playoff places are held by Inverness and Dundee United who drew 1-1 at Tannadice. Queen of the South and Morton are both two points away from the playoff spots after 1-0 wins. Queens came away from Dunfermline with three points while Morton beat Falkirk in a match we're calling the Judas Bowl. Ray McKinnon left Morton for Falkirk after three games in charge earlier this season. 
Before this one, the Green Telegraph distributed red cards with the word Judas underneath McKinnon's smiling face. Not sure the comparison stands up though, after all Judas Iscariot didn't have to take the Sanhedrin to Nazareth for a tricky away fixture in the middle of a relegation dogfight. Falkirk had their goalkeeper Leo Fazan sent off before Morton won it with a goal from Bob McHugh, formerly of Falkirk, who are now stranded at the foot of the table and facing a crisis of biblical proportions. League One and the top three all won, there's now a six point gap to fourth, are both a four clearing first. Stephen Doris, in his second substitute appearance after a year out with cruciate damage, scored in a 3-1 win over Dumbarton. Wraith are in second, they won 2-1 against Stranraer despite playing the entire second half with 10 men. East Fife made it eight wins in a row. That's their best streak since 1961, beating Brecon 3-1. No action in League Two, but that did not prevent another managerial casualty. Albion Rovers boss John Brogan resigned after their 2-0 defeat in the Scottish Cup by Highland League side for Martin United. Rovers are dead last in the bottom tier with one win this season. Among the sides in Scottish Cup action were Lowland League leaders Kelty Hearts who lost 3-2 at Peterhead on Saturday. But they've got a new manager starting work this week. Rangers legend Barry Ferguson is making his way to the old mining heartland of Fife. Craig Telfer from the Terrace, a.k.a. Tell Him He's Pelly on Twitter, joins us now, an expert on lower leagues in Scotland. Craig, tell us about Barry Ferguson, former Scotland captain. He's now managing in the Lowland League. How did this all happen? Well, it's a, in terms for Kelsey Hearts, it's a massive coup because Barry Ferguson will be the most recognisable name to have managed since the league was formed just a couple of years ago. But Barry Ferguson's reputation as a steam is Barry Ferguson as the player because his time as manager, he was previously the manager of Clyde for almost three seasons. That wasn't as successful. Uh, and there was a number of mistakes along the way uh, that, that he made. So he hopefully he'll have learned a lot through that period, but um, I'd be cautious about saying whether or not this will be a success for Kelty. What kind of mistakes was it he was making at Clyde? What was he doing? Well, one of the things that, that he's spoken about, he spoke in the Daily Record a couple of weeks ago, he, he, he had problems with anger. He's been to therapy for anger management issues. If you imagine where the players that he was working on a day-to-day basis with Rangers, you're dealing with some of the best players in the country, and you're dropping down a massive level into part-time football at Clyde, and what Ferguson's problem was that he had good players who were decent players for the level but he found himself getting incredibly wound up and frustrated that the players at Clyde couldn't follow out his instructions they, they couldn't respond to, to what, what he was doing and as results got worse and worse uh, Ferguson became more and more frustrated with it and it ultimately led to him resigning from the club in uh, 2017 I think yeah, 2017 when the club uh, were, were almost they almost got sucked into uh, a, a relegation battle at the, the bottom of the table well, He actually had to take anger management classes Yeah he did wow. I mean, if, you, if you look at the, the record he's, he's spoken about that he was getting angry with things around the house mm. and uh, that he just realised that he had a problem and this, this sort of manifested itself in his, his management of Clyde I've spoken to players who, who worked under him at Clyde, guys who had played in the, the top flight in Scotland, obviously. They said while his training was really good, they, they spoke very, very highly a lot of them as a coach, said his training's good, it's fast, there's lots of tempo to it. Uh, as a manager, he just really had a problem dealing with players that, that couldn't follow his instructions. What's the ambitions for Kelty Hearts? The newly promoted to the fifth tier this season, on top of the table. 
Yeah, Kelty are a really ambitious side. Really ambitious. Uh, when you talk about trailblazers in Scottish in sort of modern Scottish football, yeah. Kelty Hearts to be one of the sides at the top of the list. They were one of the first clubs to leave junior football. I think they, they'd hit the glass ceiling in junior football and wanted to become more of a join the SPFL and climb further up the food chain. So they were one of the sides that left junior football and joined the East of Scotland League. So it was like a, a big step back to take an even bigger step forward. The level they played at, the players they had, they were playing at a, a level far beneath them and they squished the East of Scotland League. Um, I think they're finding it a wee bit trickier, uh, albeit they're doing very well. It's a bit of a trickier league in the Lowland League. There's, there are a couple of good teams in there, like Spartans and East Colbride, teams that if they were in League 2, they could hold their own. You saw uh, Kelty at the weekend, for instance. They lost 3-2 to Peterhead. They, they gave them a bit of a game. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're really ambitious. It's just it's a difficult league to get out of the Lowland League. Same with the Highland League. The way that the league structure's done, you know, you've got to win the division, then go into a playoff yeah, yeah, yeah. against the team from the Highland League. If you win that, you'll go into a second playoff against a team that finishes bottom of League Two. So it's a bit of a shame if you go the entire season, you win a league title and you've got nothing to show for it at the end. So it's a bit uh, heavily weighted in favour of the League Two side. But um, if uh, Kelty are, are lucky enough when it comes to the playoffs, they could definitely, uh, definitely win promotion. Have they got a bit of money behind them? I don't know about that. I, I can only judge by some of the players that they've got that yeah. you'd imagine some of these guys wouldn't be playing at that level unless they were being well uh, remunerated. Probably the most recognisable player in the Celtic team is a guy called Stephen Husband, who played a number of years at Dunfermline and played at Forth Athletic before dropping down to Kelty. Kelty's his hometown team, so there might be something to that that it's easy enough for him to uh, to, to train and, and travel to matches. But he was, he was at Dunfermline. He's a real classy midfielder, a real good range of passing, uh, good in the tackle. Another couple of guys there, Scott DL, has had some success in the, the football league. He won a promotion with Stennis Spear and did it okay at East Fife and Berwick Rangers. And there's a couple of other guys like Scott Christie, Ian Nimmo and Errol Douglas who, who have played senior with varying degrees of success. How, how different is the quality from Highland and Lowland Leagues going into League Two in Scotland? Because I look at... Edinburgh City and how mm-hmm. amazing they're doing this season, top of the league. Yeah, there. you know what's what's the difference in is is the the Kelty Hearts and, and sides who are are challenging for promotion. Can they look at someone like Edinburgh and kind of say, well, this is a this is a, an achievable goal? Edinburgh City is a really interesting one because the, the for the this is Edinburgh's third season in the the SPFL, the third season in League Two, mm-hmm. and for the the first season, the, they more or less went with the same group of players that had won the Lowland League uh, and had won promotion to it. And that team really struggled. There was a, a period, for, for a long period, they were adrift at the, the bottom of the table. Uh, this season, what you're noticing is they're more, you look through their starting 11 and, and their squad, and it's all recognisable lower league players, guys who have either played top flight football, dropped down. There's guys like Conrad Balatoni there, Blair Henderson, Scott Shepherd. Mark Laird, Craig Thompson, these are all guys who have, have, have enjoyed good careers. So what Edinburgh have done is, is basically sort of change. There's not many players from Edinburgh who were there when they won promotion. What Kelty can look at, or they can look at these other teams who have, have taken on. Obviously, it's a, like we mentioned there, the Peterhead match in the in the Cup. Obviously, that's a, a one-off um, encounter, and, and we can't really read too much into that. But I think that the, these teams, the teams like Kelty, Spartans, they would be competitive. Same with these the teams at the top end of the Highland League, Cove Rangers, etc. The, the only problem with these divisions, the Lowland League and the Highland League, is you're going to get a, at the top end of the table, you've got a clutch of teams who, who could make an impact in League Two, 
but the quality drops off very quickly after that, and you're seeing teams that get scudded uh, like <laughs> seven nil, eight nil most weeks. Oh yeah, Fort Williams of the world, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Second bottom of the Premiership are St Mirren without a win in eight games and they slipped to defeat at home to Kilmarnock on Saturday. Aaron Tushbola with the winner. Was it over the line? We don't know. Ah, Oren Kearney seemed to suggest the assistant referee couldn't have been 100% sure. No. How, how, can, how can you be sure? It's, I'm not it's, sure. I, I can tell you how. You can have uh, VAR. Yeah, you can yeah, have yeah. Goal line. <laughs> how, how can Douglas Ross, the linesman at the time, be sure? There were so many bodies in the box, and he he was also a couple of yards away from the play, like not not in line with the play. If you're not sure, you can't make a decision. It's a very bold decision. So that that is the rule, isn't it? If if you're not 100 percent sure, you cannot make the call. You have to just continue playing. Because yeah, well, Willie, it was Willie Collum, wasn't it? it he was. was yeah. He was going to continue playing, and then the linesman flags up for the, a goal. The thing I like the most about it, and no one's I've not seen anyone mention, is that just before Shibola gets to head it, he gives a shove to the defender in front of him, pushes him a good like two three yards away. And uh, it's just a little push, but it's still <laughs> it's enough for a foul. I think it's probably a foul, yeah, because yeah, yeah, then he's not next. Uh, you can't get to him to header it because he's been marked. You see, it's man, it's man marking again, so he can't get to, get to him. So have St Mirren been hard done by? Because there was that chance for them at right of the death as well, wasn't it? When they, I think Simeon Jackson scored, um, yeah. but that was deemed that to be offside. offside. Yeah, and just just offside, I think it was. Uh, yeah, yeah that, directly. It's but, really yeah, harsh, yeah, isn't it? Because yeah, it, it, it went the one way further. Like, one should go this way. It was like a heel, wasn't it? That kept him onside. The leg is slightly over. It's too close. It's, it's, you have to give it yeah. to the attacking team. I mean, I know that's kind of maybe a bit hard. What happened to benefit of a doubt, eh? I think the better team won the game, yeah. uh, for sure. I mean, yep. Alan Powers' strike stands out for me. It was just awesome. Just love. I just love love. power strike. It was. It was power and Paisley. Absolutely stunning. And I think I, I was looking up the last time he'd scored was like two years ago for Lincoln City. Right. I, against someone in that division. My so. God, your weekends are fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Kelly are becoming a bit of comeback kings now, aren't they? They've, yeah, that's that's the tagline, isn't it? Yeah. Against Dundee and Shows great character. Minute, but they're the most informed team this calendar year. Of the year, yeah. yeah they're top of the league for that, yeah. They're just going from strength to it's, strength. It's, it was, what was also great was how amazing their away support was. 1,600 yeah. turned out. They packed out that stadium. That's, it was like a crowd that... Uh, St Mirren would get for an old firm game from the highlights I saw the atmosphere looked great Yeah, for, for a fix that you would maybe think St Mirren, Kilmarnock okay you wouldn't expect a huge crowd it was it was, it was was nice to yeah. kind of see matches in the Scottish Premiership being really well supported yeah. well this is what happens when your team is well managed mm. and they start winning games suddenly the fans want to spend money to go and watch them play if it's nice enough football or at least you've got a chance you're going to win it um, it's worth going to. You saw it with Aberdeen coming out of the doldrums with McInnes bringing them up. Like yeah. it's happened there with Achilles. Great. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Steve Clark has lost only five Premiership games since he's taken charge of Kamarnock. Yeah. That's awesome, isn't it? I mean, I think we've spent enough time saying how he's the next best manager in the world. He's doing a ridiculous job with Achilles. Well, he's not. He's just making players better. And a system that works for Kilmarnock. Yeah, it's it, absolutely. It doesn't mean every week we say what a job that Steve Clark's doing. It's it, everyone says it, it, it. They're right, but t- I'll tell you who's not doing a very good job right now. Motherwell. No, Motherwell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they got done by St Johnston in the very last minute. Yeah, that was a sucker punch for them, wasn't it? Didn't deserve to win. No. Uh, again, but it's still it's still one of those where if you're playing, um, and you're getting into the dying seconds, if it's going to be no no, keep it. No, no. But yeah. these these games that Motherwell keep playing, so their players are all absolute units, as we often say. They've got Bowman and Main up front, 
it's like going to a stag do with like you know there's two folk who are going to be there that are probably going to get thrown out of a strip club at some point. You just know it's going to be a battle <laughs> all the way through. And Motherwell's approach play is, is sometimes they play nice football in the final third by tapping it, but to get there they do not play it especially nice. And all the shots that you had ten shots on goal right in this game. Uh, so did um, uh, St. Johnson to be fair, but all the shots are from long range. They just hits the punts. The best chance that came from Motherwell was that Curtis Main one from a long ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he just shanked it. Basically. If you're Stevie Mallon, maybe it counts as a chance. But the thing was controversial, obviously, with that very last minute goal, was that uh, Tom Aldridge goes down with an injury. I think maybe it's a head injury. I can't remember. He's, he's injured anyway. So he has to go off the pitch because the physios come on. So uh, while they're defending that last corner, he's off. And then uh, while he's there, Charles Dunn does not properly follow his man. He gets drawn towards the goalkeeper. He doesn't read the flight of the ball. He's mm-hmm. done something wrong anyway. And he's defending the, uh, I think it's zonal marking he's doing, but he's, he's on the on the six-yard box. He's by the far post. And then just loses Jason Kerr, who scores. Mm, he scores goal, yeah. Also, I love the commentary on the highlight for it. It's like Muppets in space. Like, Jason Kerr in space! Like he's going into the, <laughs> the space. I like that. It's a huge win for St Johnston, though, isn't it? Five games without yes. a win, yes. and then they they get a, that kind of last minute goal can really push you on for the well, not for the rest of the season, but certainly for the next few weeks. Do you know They're what, just a point behind Aberdeen, and that they could have otherwise had they drawn that or lost that game today, they would have been in that mix with Motherwell, Dundee, yeah, Hamilton, and all that. I mean, the thing for Motherwell is they are in dire straits at the moment. They've not won at home all season albeit it's only five games, but five points from nine games, that's really, really bad. They are not good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember what, I watched them play at Pataudry against Aberdeen a few weeks ago, and that should probably be a nil-nil. It's just, there's just not enough to them. They don't have the same snap of last season, and I don't know if Steve Robinson's getting enough out of them. I don't see any progress from last season at all. Do they have the squads? To survive this season, no, they're, they're, they're not, not, they're not, we're not talking about them as being relegated. They've got fridge freezers up front. They've got <laughs> uh, they've got a catapult at the back to put it towards them. It's scrappy. It's not you can't control games that way. It's it's all down to winning second balls. And if you're not as fired up as the next person, if one person loses his man during a set piece, you end up losing. And it's it's why like you see all the time different managers who come in and they go away after a season and a half because they just don't put down a particular style. I mean, Robinson's got a style here, Motherwell, but I don't really want to watch it. Big Rumana, Gal Big Rumana, uh, again at Pataudry, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. He's one of the only players they've got in that team who can control move. He's off the ball, he's really good. His delivery from set pieces is amazing. They've got those units up front to hit towards and he's not on the pitch. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Monday after those bloody League Cup semi-finals. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the Totally Football League Show with Caroline Barker and, of course, the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Totally Football.